0: 500 years ago he washed ashore the sole survivor of a shipwreck and upon the skull of the man who killed his dad he said i'm mad i must eradicate piracy injustice and cruelty and all my sons will follow me so evil doers will believe that this man cannot die the, Phantom. the ghost who walks the Phantom. enemies he- the
1: phantom's always there But you won't find the phantom he finds you G'day everybody and welcome to another episode of the Chronicle uh, Chamber X-Band podcast. Almost forgot what we were doing for a second there. <laughs> um, so today we have a very, very special guest. Uh, one that we've all been fairly excited uh, in organising and planning. But before we do that, let's uh, introduce the regulars, Dan and Stephen. How are you going, guys?
2: Yep, good, Jim. Good to be here. Happy to uh, happy to get involved again. Yes,
1: it's a bit of a late night for us tonight, but there is a reason for that. Uh, Stephen, how are you going with the um, with the marking of the essays and all that, buddy? Yeah, getting through it all, mate. Yeah, <laughs> happy to have a distraction. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. All right, guys. So, um, like I said tonight, uh, like I said, we have a special guest today. Um, now I don't know if you saw it, but we did a bit. We well, we trialed a bit of a, a live video stream to the Chronicle Chamber um, Facebook page. And what you would have seen, you would have seen uh, my ugly mug, as well as three comics, which have was the 80th anniversary. Uh, the Medicine Man's Daughter, and a golden oldie from the mid-90s, a band pride. Now, if you're a bit of a researcher, you will be having a bit of a look at what the three of those uh, have in common. and Or if you're just lazy and you just want us to tell you, we'll, we'll let you know. So today we will be interviewing the author of those three stories, and his name is Joran Sem. And uh, did I pronounce that right again?
3: For an Australian, you did very, very well. <laughs> uh, so
1: for those that are uneducated and not very good at pronouncing um, foreign names like myself, do you want to give us a bit of a rundown on how to say your name?
3: Jöran uh, Semb. Um, but you you were very close. It's not an easy, Swedish names are generally not easy for an English-speaking palate.
1: That's good. You made me, you made me feel not so um, uh, inadequate. <laughs> so thank you for that. <laughs> You're welcome. So um, first of all, welcome uh, to the podcast. Thank you very much. Now, when we were talking about this,
3: you said that you've actually listened to a couple of them. Yeah, well, writing comics for uh, comic books, not uh, solid collections, you tend to not get reviewed in uh, newspapers or magazines, (laughs) so uh, you get kind of desperate for any feedback. So I I did a search for uh, responses to The Medicine Man's Daughter and discovered all right, somebody did review it, somebody in Australia. So uh, I went in and listen, uh, listened and uh, was quite touched by your kind words. So thanks for that, guys. No worries. Well, thanks for
1: the no. great story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's it. We're just, um, you're the one that did all the hard work.
3: Well, not all of it, because I have noticed that a lot of people appreciated the twist towards the end. Do we do spoilers here? Yes, yep.
2: All right. this, this was published uh, last year. I think people should have read it by now, and if they haven't, they need to go back.
3: Yeah, their own fault. Uh, That's right. <laughs> uh, the big uh, twist in the plot that uh, the girl who everybody thought was a victim turned out to be a bad guy herself, that came from then-story editors at Egmont, Claes Reymarty and Hans Lindahl I did a very traditional The Phantom story with a happy ending and The Phantom bringing the girl back with her kid to her tribe and the tribe going of course she's welcome Uh, and we can't leave uh, one of our own uh, having a difficult time Mm. and uh, Hans and Claes felt that Mm, That's kind of vanilla Couldn't we do something And I think it was Hans who came up with Well let's twist it Let's have her be a bad guy And when I heard it I immediately went Oh no Why do I have to change my story (laughs) Uh, But I I warmed to it As I got into it And uh, I could do it in a way That worked well for myself As well so uh, and people have appreciated it. So it's kind of obvious which ones of us who are the storytelling professionals, and it's not me, it's Hans <laughs> and Klaus. I think you sell yourself a little bit, shall <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, I am happy with the Phantom stories I've gotten published, but I do like one story a year. So it's not like I'm a professional uh comics right or I do actually two stories per year because I write one story of my own comic strip uh, called Milden Frum which is an action thriller sort of things Uh, that's illustrated by Carlos Pedrasini who lives in Argentina Uh, but uh, that's it and uh, two stories a year well it's fun for me but it's not being a professional writer yeah so but
1: you are in the uh, comic industry you were telling me.
3: Yeah, I make the major part of my income from uh, translating and occasionally lettering comics. So uh it's a good job. It's the best job I've ever had. <laughs> it's not always great but it's always better than uh, the, the other jobs I've had. Yeah.
2: Are those always fandom stories you run that you that you translate?
3: No, uh I couldn't survive on that. It, the Phantom isn't big enough here in Sweden anymore for that. In the 70s, maybe, but uh, a lot of it is for the Phantom magazine here in Sweden. Uh, I translate a couple of uh, Franco-Belgian comics, an excellent Western called The Undertaker or Undertaker, uh, right. and uh, a couple of... Uh, from the thorgal universe young thorgal and uh, his the stories about his kid uh, she's named ilva in swedish but i don't recall her or- original name so that's one or well in all maybe three franco-belgian comics comics albums every year as well okay. and then i do i'm also the editor of the beetle bailey magazine here so i translate uh all of that so it's like 100 pages a month so oh, wow. all in all it it makes for a livable barely livable income and then i can <laughs> fill it out with the uh, proofreading crossword puzzles right
1: so <laughs> how many how many languages are you uh, like do you know and can speak in and read and translate and stuff
3: uh, just English really uh, for the French stuff I need to have a dictionary handy okay. but fortunately uh, those Franco-Belgian comics are well spoken so to speak there is not a lot of slang or stuff so if it's something you don't understand it's not going to be some obscure street language you'll find it in the dictionary usually
1: Yeah.
3: I also do Norwegian and Danish but They're so close to Swedish, so it's. Oh, (laughs) shh.
1: I I know there's a bit of a. I I, I know there's a few Norwegians and Danish that
3: don't like to hear that too much. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I couldn't understand a Danish speaking. Uh, Yeah. They speak very differently from us, but written, no, it's not a big problem. So, how long
1: have you been uh, doing this comic relay like, with... Um, I'm assuming you said Bailey Beatty, is that with Egmont?
3: Yeah. Uh, I've been a translator for, well, since around the year 2000, but it wasn't very much in the beginning. But yeah. gradually it increased, and uh, now I... Thanks to getting Beatle Bailey in, well... 2010 or something I finally could afford to buy myself a house where I could house my comics collection it was (laughs) pretty crowded living in an apartment I can tell you so have you got a lot of comics I've got a bunch of comic books mainly uh, Swedish and Marvels and a lot of DC comics as well but uh, that was too much. I, I put that in boxes and in storage. That would be some 60, 70 shelf meters. Oh, wow. And I've got a <laughs> hundred shelf meters up in bookshelves here in the house. And that's collections, trade paperbacks and hardbacks and stuff.
1: Wow.
3: So any phantoms
1: in there or is it more
3: um, more the other like mainstream it's mainly mainstream american stuff and franco-belgian albums we had a lot of that translated into swedish in the 70s and 80s but it's it's a market that f- failed a bit but, but a couple of independent publishers are trying to reboot it and uh, reprinting good stuff which also helps me because one or two of them has, have also asked me to translate for them. So, awesome. But mainly it's Marvel Comics, DC Comics, and whatever uh, Swedish collections of uh, stuff like The Phantom, Donald Duck, Beetle Bailey. I wanted to send you over some fruits to, to add to your collection. I got the Jubilee number thanks to Andreas. Erikson, who stepped in as editor for the fa- of the Phantom for a while, and it was nice to read. But I've I've built up such a backlog of uh, comics and books that I have yet to read, so <laughs> I'm practically drowning in it. Because <laughs> when I finally started making decent money again, I started buying stuff that I hadn't been able to afford in the years previously. Hmm. and uh, moving to a house, I suddenly had space again so I could fill it up. <laughs> uh, so, well, if you're collectors, you know you know how yes. it works. Yeah. Yes. yeah, I'm afraid so. We're, um, <laughs> we're all collectors, and we've all
1: got um, uh, bulging areas that we're allowed to have our... I've got a room. Uh, Dan and Steve, you've got sections of the house that you're allowed to have your collection as well, correct? That's right. And, uh, yeah, just
3: beside my desk here.
1: <laughs> so, have you ever seen um, or read one of your stories in in a free comic before?
3: No, I haven't. I knew they existed, but uh, I didn't get the I didn't get any copies via Egmont.
1: Oh, okay, right. we'll we'll um we'll we'll sort that out after the podcast. We'll get you a postal address and we'll send you a couple of your um of your stories so you can kind of. Read them in english and and uh i'm sure that with one of the podcast topics that we like to discuss is um uh the translation how it goes from like swedish back to english and we always wonder how how much it uh kind of loses the, the how the translation can lose its meaning so it'll be interesting we always find it interesting so you might find it interesting as well mm mm-hmm.
3: mm that's very generous of you. Thank you.
1: Not a problem. So, um, so you, when we were, when you and I were talking before, you were saying that um, uh, that you used to read the comic, uh, the Phantom comic, as a child. Was that correct?
3: Yeah, my earliest comics I read. I, I learned to read pretty early on because my brother started st- school three years be- ahead of me and. Uh, I learned to read from the books he brought home. Uh, and uh, Peanuts and Donald Duck were my favorites. And I didn't know then that it was Karl Barks Donald Duck that was my favorite. But I pretty early learned to recognize all right, this is a good Donald Duck story. It's drawn by that good Duck artist. <laughs> and the rest is, well, this is kind of boring. So. As a kid, you pretty soon learn to see what is good and what isn't. And uh, then I moved on to adventure strips like Tarzan and the Phantom. And I remember the first Phantom story, I, or or rather the earliest Phantom story I remember was some crappy Italian uh, story about (laughs) we astronauts coming back to Earth and turning into monsters. (laughs) And... I remember that because I was very young then and we were staying at Friends and I was sleeping in the basement alone. And I was so scared after reading that story so I couldn't fall asleep for (laughs) the longest time. And I couldn't go up and say, Mom, I'm scared because I read a comic book because (laughs) comic books are not a priority for parents anyway. And if you admit that you can't sleep because of them you're going to risk not getting to read as much of them again as you want to. <laughs> That's so true.
2: <laughs> so, that, so that would not, you said an Italian story, that was not a Lee Fork story? What would?
3: I no, it? it wasn't. Uh, the Swedish uh, Phantom comic book pretty soon used up too much <laughs> material to just use Lee Fork stuff so i th- i'm i'm not sure if any other country was doing the phantom then producing their own stories but the italians did and the art was passable but it's it's not great by our standards it was done by italian artists trying to look like a uh, Barry. yeah mm-hmm. and uh, well it's part of the reason why Sweden built up this uh, huge production apparatus that the stores available weren't good enough so they needed to write and draw their own and their own stuff wasn't all that great to begin with either in as I remembered it because the artists weren't good enough it's not easy drawing uh, realistic comics well So. That's another milestone for me when uh, Chaim Valvé started drawing the Phantom in the 70s, I think, or the 70s. And he, I just went, what? A Swedish artist can draw this well? And of course, he wasn't Swedish. He was, I think he was Brazilian and lived in Denmark. So that's the reason he could draw so well.
0: <laughs> and, yeah, then
3: okay. we, and then we had... Uh, but, but from then on, The Phantom was the comic book as far as I was concerned for a very long time because it had uh, good stories written by uh, Anne Lundrum Yep. and uh, the old maestro. I got to meet him at the Gothenburg Book Fair a couple of years ago and I had a chance to tell him how much his stories had meant to me. Uh, that was That felt good. Uh, and uh, also the backup comics like Ricochet and uh, uh, Bernard Prince, Franco Belgian, were also so good. So even if you didn't like the Phantom story all that much, there was always something good to read in the magazine.
1: Mm. It's um, it's probably the Big difference between the uh, the Swedish uh, magazine and the Australian magazine, where we only just have the Phantom, where you have had back then. Yous had the backup characters as well. Which um, for us Australians, we find that concept a little bit weird, or we're not quite familiar with that concept. But that's something that you guys have um, kind of grew up with.
3: Yeah, it was always like that. uh in well donald duck only had donald duck and mickey mouse stories but they were different stories so you were kind of used to uh, well to the format and then you had all the comedy comic books like beetle bailey which didn't just have beetle bailey but other mort walker strips like the ark and sam strip and stuff like that so even the Purely Swedish comics like Tan about a hapless uh, military guy, private, had backup strips by other Swedish uh, creators and never as well drawn as the American stuff, yeah. just like The Phantom.
1: Yeah. So, how did you become, um, like how did you become a writer for Egmont? How did you write Banders Pride, which was the first story?
3: I was working at, uh, well, what do you call it? Uh, I, I was supposed to be writing a doctorate thesis, and I was sent up in the Swedish mountains in the north at a rehabilitation home for people with heart disease. But uh, we didn't get enough patients, so my doctor thesis drew out on time and more and more, and I got so bored and restless (laughs) that I felt I have to do something else. I cannot stay here because I'm going to die. (laughs) And uh, so I figured, well, I can try... writing comics at least uh, because it was in an economic downturn so there weren't a lot of jobs to go around so I typed out four plots and sent them to Ulf Grönberg at Fantomen and didn't hear anything and then a long while later when he'd uh, finally had the time to work through his piles of mail from people. He read them and said, Well, this isn't bad. So he called me up and uh, gave me the shot at writing one of them. And, and I got And how to, old uh,
2: were you how old were you at that stage?
3: Oh, I was thirty.
2: Yeah. There's so there's still uh, hope. You you don't have to uh you don't have to start writing at a young age to be able to start getting
3: published. No. Well you have to start writing I think because you <laughs>
2: mm. but
3: you don't have to get published.
2: Yeah, okay, uh, yeah, fair call.
3: Yeah. Because you can't just jump into writing and not have any experience writing I think. Mm. It's it takes a while. Mm. Uh but uh, and I got Hans Lindahl as an artist so I didn't have to write it in English and uh, he liked it. He bought the story and Hans drew it and did his usual bang up job of it and then the next plot I sent in Ulf said nah this isn't good enough <laughs> and and so my my writing career sort of died mm. so you then, said
2: that you said that you were you've been writing two stories a year that sort of thing were they always fandom stories that you kept sending into Egmont or uh, no, other I gave things up.
3: no you gave I, up? I just yeah uh, I made my living doing other stuff and Ooh. I sort of dropped out of comics fandom of for, because of other reasons as well so I didn't have the same connection to it but then when I got uh, the chance to start uh, translating for Egmont it slowly grew on me that I'd like to write some stories I still have some ideas so... Um, I finally sent in a synopsis to Ulf for my own strip, uh, Milden Frum, and uh, he bought it and I felt, well, all right, I'll try a Phantom Story as well. And he, I think it was when he was still uh, the editor, and he said, well, okay. Or maybe they had moved fully to Hans and Klaus doing the story editing. But anyway, it was accepted, and uh, with changes, I wrote it, and they published it.
2: And And that that was was... the one, Medicine Man's Daughter?
3: Yeah.
1: Yeah, it has to be, yeah.
2: Mm.
1: And then you've done a third one as well, Um, which was the Nuclear's Terror, I think is the... Is that the English title?
3: Yeah. uh, Atomterroristerna was the Swedish title, and Nuclear Terror is a pretty good uh, translation of that. So, um,
1: just so you may not be aware, but this was actually the first... This story of the nuclear terror um, Mm. was the first colour Agmont story in full for... um,
3: in the free comment. Yeah, Andreas mentioned that uh, as a well, an eager boost to me that uh, <laughs> run in the uh, anniversary issue. And of course, that's that's fun. I, I'm uh, thankful for that.
2: So, do you plan on continuing to submit stories and uh, Phantom Phantom Tales to Egmont?
3: Yeah, I've uh, or I sent in uh, the plot for a fourth story uh, recently when uh, editor Mikael Sewell got back from his paternity leave, but uh, they'd already booked 2017 quite solid. Hmm. So that's not going to come out until 2018 if he accepts ac- accepts it.
2: And is there any chance that that is the sequel to Medicine Man's Daughter? Because I think that has uh, been set up quite lovely for uh, an ongoing series.
3: No, it's not. Uh, Actually, the theme is kind of similar because it's uh, the phantom seeking out uh, the daughter of somebody he has had contact with before. Mm. And uh, she doesn't respond as he expects And as we're used to see people uh, Reacting when the phantom Comes to help them Especially if they have the good mark or something okay. uh, So it, It's Kind of a revisionist Theme just like Medicine Man's Daughter going back to Classic phantom stories And trying to put a new Twist on them But uh, it doesn't have anything to do With the uh, mm, I, I don't remember her name, I, I gave her an African name, so it's kind of hard for me to recall.
0: Yeah, I, I did write that down
2: the TV or uh, something like that. So, um, I, I want to come back to that idea that you just said there about the revisionist thing, but so there are no, you don't have uh, plans afoot for a follow-up follow to Medicine Man's Daughter at this stage?
3: No, I don't. I uh, okay. I tend to write my stories, basically, basically, I collect ideas, and I get to thinking, oh, this would be an interesting situation, like uh, with the phantom on, uh, on the balcony outside the plotting criminals in Medicine Man's, woman, uh, in Medicine Man's daughter. And then he has this uh, cell phone that starts beating, because he said, somebody has said, alarm. And then I figure, well, do I have any more situations that I could connect to this? And uh, I, I get these small slivers of ideas that I say somewhere in my head. And when I have two or three that I think I can put together, I sort of fashion a plot to tie them together and try to give them a, a, some sort of twist ending or anything. But uh, I can't, I'm not a good enough writer to start, well, I have this situation, I should craft plot to fit into that, mm. uh, it's more haphazard, but anybody yeah. else can write something about her, because it is a shared universe, so...
1: Mm. Mm. Yeah, of course. I um oh, sorry. I was just gonna say, um with with like with the uh what you were just talking about with the alarm going off while he's out the window and all that, um things like that and then the um just a lot of the little inserts that you add in your stories, you can definitely tell that you um know about the, the phantom universe because there's um, you know, like there's that one, um, with the outside the window, uh, and towards the start, there's the classic, um, Wilson McCoy story where the phantoms on hero riding, you know, riding hero in the air with the helicopter above him, um, ordering milk in the bar in the bandor's pride and stuff. And it's, you can definitely tell that you, you know, your phantom law and you know, you know, like the phantom elements that make a, a classic
3: story. Yeah, well, I read it religiously during the 70s and a bit into the 80s. that That's a Sybaris story with the helicopter and the flying hero. Oh, yeah, it is too. My bad. <laughs> uh, but, uh, and I, I, because I remember reading that one, and I, I was just thinking, you know, wow, that's so smart. Because I love stories that sort of have these twists where the hero has to come up with some clever idea to solve the problem. Uh, We have too many stories on film and in comics where it's mainly about gritting his teeth and putting an extra effort into it and beating up the bad guys a little bit more. And I hate that because it's sort of lazy writing. If Daredevil or the Phantom needs to find out something, beating up a guy until he confesses it isn't very clever. It's just, Hmm. well, bullying and torture. So I prefer stories where the hero has to, yeah, think outside of the box. No, I
2: think that's always been, um, uh, for, for me, I'm, I'm a massive Lee Fork fan, and that was one of the things that always um, struck me about Lee Fork's stories, is that he had his hero being clever, as well as, mm. you know, there was the brain as well as the brawn. Mm.
3: Mm. Yeah. And those, those are the stories I prefer, plus the more... Uh, Fantastic ones, reasonably fantastic ones, like the one inside the volcano with all those uh, huge animals. Mm. Uh, I remember that one from Wernowski. It was so exciting. And uh, I don't like stories that are explicitly uh, paranormal, like real ghosts or real curses or stuff like that but a story that has the possibility that alright now this could just be coincidence or maybe the witch's curse could have something with to do with it uh, those kind of stories I prefer which is why I had the medicine man in Medicine Man's Daughter come back as sort of a ghost after uh, the mm. Phantom has had this shock to his brain, so you can't be sure. Is is it a hallucination, or was it a message from beyond the grave? You can't really be certain.
1: Mm. Definitely. So, were you, are you, do you prefer the Fork stories
3: over the um, uh, Egmont stories, or...? Well, there are so many writers and artists for Egmont, so it's hard for me to say, really. I like the old Ray Moore stuff, which I hadn't, to a large extent, because I didn't get to read it when I was a kid, so it's new to me. yeah. And it has this, uh, well, like good old black-and-white movies from that era with uh, clever Party and... Uh, stuff like that i like that Uh, wilson mccoy's art doesn't appeal to me so i'm not a mccoy man but cy barry especially his early years i think is magnificent and uh i think folk did a lot to modernize the strip so i like those classic ones but there are a couple of uh, Egmont writers I really admire, and Janne Lundström is foremost among them. He wrote quite a lot of very good stories, and they were often drawn by Valvi And Those are excellent. I, and they came at a formative time of my youth, too. Mm. So those will remain my favorites.
2: That does seem to be something that uh, is consistent. It's what you what you read when you uh, were at that formative time, like you say. That always seems to be people's favourites.
3: Mm. Yeah.
2: So I noticed yeah. um, that in uh, Bander's Pride. Um there was a, a couple of references to some of the people you've just spoken about. So on um for, for people if they want to go back it's in through issue number one one four nine, eleven forty nine. On page thirteen, um you have the Phantom walking down Fork Street and on um, page twenty he comes to the corner of uh Moore Road and McCoy Avenue. Were those mm-hmm. were those was that Hans Lindell oh. as, as the author? Uh, artist, sorry.
3: Uh Actually, uh, I can't take credit for it, but it was uh, Ulf Granberg's idea. Oh.
2: So, so, it's a good touch, I thought.
3: Mm, I liked it, too. I'm not sure Hans Lindahl was quite as uh, fond of it, because he's more to the story, and I think he may... I'm not so sure I recall this correctly, but he may have thought I was sort of distracting from the story. <laughs> Mm. Uh, but it's very long since I spoke to him about it, so I may well misremember.
2: Mm. Well, in the in the modern terminology, that's probably one of those Easter eggs that people like to see. And uh, uh, for those in the know, it's a little tip of the hat to um, the original creators. And, and for those who don't know, then you know, it just sweeps past them. So whether it's a distraction or not, I'm not sure. But I certainly enjoyed it.
3: Yeah, I did yeah. as well. Yeah, me too. I just watched uh, Frank Miller's The Spirit Movie, uh, and it was full of uh, tips of the hat to old comics masters like Kurtzman, etc. Because all the incidental characters had names after great comics artists. Mm. And in that case, it was distracting because there was just so many of them. Yeah. but but i agree uh, we are all phantom fans so we like to see uh reference to that old stuff and also the old classical situations with uh, with a twist if you can mm. like uh the bartender's making a bet about yeah it's going to be, be trouble now because this guy comes in
1: yeah yeah i like that whereas um Whereas like they're, they're having, and that's the thing that I've noticed is that a lot of your secondary or even third tier characters have got a lot of um, character development in the actual story. If that's probably the right way of putting it.
0: Hmm.
2: Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of depth to those characters where hmm. where some authors are, are very much just focused on the Phantom and maybe the, the one protagonist. But um, yeah, you're you're very much uh, building out the depth in. You know, in Baran, in Bender's Pride, or um, yeah, the, the the other characters. I agree with that wholeheartedly, Joe.
3: Thanks. Uh, it's uh, it's not th- something I have thought of myself because to me, that's part of the fun. Have them have some sort of connection to the Phantom or something like that. And part of it is uh, from uh, Asterix and Lucky Luke. If you've read those, I read a yeah. lot that in the 70s
1: i still write them
3: <laughs> yeah they're, they're excellent uh, and they still hold up some yes. 30 to 50 years after they were written but Gosniel René Gossigny who wrote those was a master at varying a, a standard situation like Lucky Luke jumping out of a window and landing in the saddle of his horse uh, yeah. a classical western movie thing which mm. could happen with uh, the, him jumping out of the wrong window and hurting himself badly and then the horse laughing all the way because he jumped out of the wrong window yeah. and I like that sort of humor because you already have for the reader to interpret it oh this is going to happen because it's a standard situation, and you have the chance to sort of turn 90 degrees and do something else with it. I always enjoy reading that, so I like to try it myself when I have the chance.
2: So is that, you obviously take that into writing, Um, so is that where you sort of, you're mindful of Lee Fork's tropes, if you like, about the the milk in the bar, and and here I'm going to leave you on your own now, and that sort of thing, I need to walk alone. Um, so you're mindful of continuing Lee Fork's work in that regard, but um, using that rather than adapting that into your own mythology?
3: Yeah, well, I don't mind using those tropes as they are, because they're great tropes. That's why they have survived so long. Mm. Like, it, 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 you can't bring the dog in here. Yeah. It's not. Yeah. uh And uh, I recall another of my favorite writers, I.D. Carelli, a Norwegian guy, who had the phantom asleep on a plane, and the air stewardess saying, well, you can't have the dog in here. And he goes, it's not a dog, it's a wolf. But actually she wasn't talking to him, she was talking to some middle-aged woman holding a poodle named Fifi in her lap, and the woman is, what, how rude this isn't a wolf (laughs) Uh, so I'll happily use that uh, trope and get a joke out of it if I can but if I can't come up with a joke I'm still happy to use it because it is as you say part of phantom lore and uh, we should be mindful of that you can't keep everything from a strip that's 80 years old Mm. but the good parts should be allowed to stay. You shouldn't just throw them out uh, just because you want to do something new. Because the fans love them for a reason and you need to be mindful of the fans.
2: Definitely. Yeah, I agree with that.
3: It's just like, I'm just, just
1: flicking through the story and you keep like seeing little things like um, uh, in The Medicine Man's Daughter where uh, they come out of uh, the hotel and you've got the old snotty couple, and you know they see the phantom and the devil go past, them, and then she goes, "Come, Robert, this is not the hotel for us." You know, just things like that. Is all just those yeah, little funny things which are just which make make
3: the story enjoyable. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I like them myself. It, it keeps me interested. Of course, now that the page count has gone down from thirty-two to twenty-two there isn't as much space to put that stuff in anymore. True.
1: So how does... That's a good question. How do Mm. you find that um, affect your writing the less
3: panels or the less pages? First of all, you have to do... I like to do the atmosphere stuff. I I love it because the atmosphere is part of why I loved the Phantom to begin with. uh, With the jungle patrol and uh, the... Uh, all that stuff but you have to do that on the fly on the run Uh, you can't concentrate on putting forth well Colonel Waraboo and uh, his relations to his uh, staff and stuff like that you can't use that much space to make that standing on its own but you can put it in as an aside in a situation where you still have to show them like in uh, nuclear terror when he uh, well made an effort to have him speak sort of like a military commander because we always we have this well we have a couple of stories with uh, the jungle patrol being a really elite unit we have the Lee fork a uh, story that concentrated on uh, the Jungle Patrol. With uh, It's an early Siberian story. I can't remember. Is that the founding of the Jungle Patrol? No, I'm thinking about uh, him following uh, a newly minted patrolman. Oh, patrolman Zocco. Could be, could be. Is that yeah. where his dad killed a patrolman
1: or something like that?
3: Mm, I don't remember sorry it's too but I remember the uh the hard uh qualification process where they weeded out lots and lots of uh, applicants so, so you have one
2: elite, in a 1000 makes it something like that
3: Yeah so you have a situation where, where uh, uh you have an elite force but because the phantom is supposed to be so superior, he is the hero after all. Mm. Uh, patrolmen o- often come off as a bit of, well, oafish, really, mm. because they can't do anything without the phantom uh, in many stories. Mm. And that always annoyed me. So I tried that, mm. all right, if I have the jungle patrol here, I should sort of. I should try to depict them as an elite unit. And I can't have the patrolmen do that because there's no space to have them uh, talking to chiefs and stuff like that. So I have to use Colonel Vorabu and his staff. So I try to make uh, his briefings as professional and uh, military sounding as possible and to put in that. Remember, talk to the chiefs. There are eyes and ears. They know what's going on. Sort of like uh, what I imagine a real uh, commander of a jungle patrol would do. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting.
1: Mm, very good.
2: Point. Yeah, didn't think of it like that. So, so uh, I guess stepping, uh, taking a sort of a, a step aside for a moment. What what is actually what does the script look like? For you, when you send it into Egmont, is it um, how much direction do you give the artist? Is it just a uh, like a dialogue, like we might see for his play, and or, or, or what is it what does it actually look like?
3: Uh, I tend to not go into too much detail because I don't know in advance who the artist is going to be, mm. and for some artists, uh, it. It would be completely unnecessary and for some artists it's just a waste of space because they'll do what they want uh, or find uh, <laughs> more appropriate anyway. Sure. And, and you have to respect that because they are the ones who A. have to draw it. B. are better at visualizing stuff. Uh, I talked to Hans uh, Lindahl about uh, that and he he asked me how I saw the action that i wrote down and to me it's like sort of a movie that i'm kind of part of but it's a continuous action and apparently it was somewhat similar for Klaus reymatti but lindahl didn't understand that at all because to him well, when he read a narrative he goes all right, that's panel one, that's panel two, that's panel three. Mm-hmm. So he splintered it up into, well, panels immediately. But I don't, um, my mind isn't visual like that. So the artist is the expert at the visuals. So I'll put in this uh, needs to be shown, like uh, the girl is clearly agitated and scared, but I won't give any more details like that. Or I'll—it's—it's it's a tenement. It's uh, rough, bad, badly maintained stuff like that. But I won't go into big uh, details about. And in the corner, you'll see this and that, and you'll see this and that because, well, some artists are going to know what to do anyway, and some artists are going to. What does he know? <laughs> oh, I can't do that. So yeah, it's so that and and the lines, what everybody right. says. Right. So you've had
2: three stories published, and um, you've worked with three different artists: Hans Lindahl yep. for Banders Pride, and uh, Cesar Spadari for Medicine Man's Daughter, and then Rafa Ruiz for uh, Nuclear Terror. Um, hmm. there's clear differences between the way you work with those three artists or is there much of a, um interaction between yourself and the artist once it goes to that stage and you know it's going to be published or uh, what, what's, what's the interaction with them and, and without uh, ruining relationships or anything do you have a preference for an artist to work with?
3: Uh, I have absolutely nothing to do with the artist at all. Once I send in my script to the editor... It's out of my hands completely. Oh, interesting. So, uh, uh, for Medicine Man's Daughter, I got the chance to translate it, which helped a lot because I could adjust it a bit to the art. Mm. Uh, uh, for the so when you, ter- sorry,
1: when you say translate, was that so? Did you write it in English first and then? Caesar drew it, and then you translated it from English to Swedish? Is that what you mean by translate?
3: Yes, yeah, sorry. Uh, I actually write it in Swedish first for okay, myself. Yeah. And then I do a revision as I uh, as I translate it to English to send it to the editor. So it goes into the editor in English, and I get it back. I When I get a, a script to translate Uh, For the Phantom, I get uh, the original English Mm. script with the editor's alterations, of course. And uh, if I'm lucky, I also get the art. Mm. Uh, So, uh, just as you said, for Medicine Man's Daughter, I got back my own script with alterations and and, uh, the art. Oh, wait, did I get that? I didn't. I didn't get the art, which is why I was sort of surprised and a bit stunned at one scene Mm. where, uh, uh, you know, the scene where a devil jumps on up on the phantom's shoulders and jumps at the guard guarding the entrance to the gated community. Yes, that was intended to be a high wide chicken wire gate. that the Phantom couldn't jump over himself, but I was either insufficiently clear in my script or the <laughs> translation didn't work very well, because that <laughs> wasn't the kind of gate it was in the
0: <laughs>
3: No, no,
2: it's just a boom gate.
3: <laughs> yeah, so really the point is that was adapted from a, another script I wanted to do where a big uh, a, a crook was hiding in some sort of small building so the phantom couldn't get at him, so he had to send the send devil in. But uh, it, that wouldn't work with sort of a gated community because that's rich people simply, and they don't have crooks and bad guys doing that, so you had to have an innocent god. Mm. But I like the idea, so... I kept uh, kept it, but had it somewhat kinder, and Devil not clamping down his uh, teeth hard on his hand or something like that. But like I said, there's really no point for Devil to jump on yeah. the Phantom's shoulders because he could jump over a gate like that either way. Himself,
2: yeah. So uh, uh, that, you said that's sort of a surprise to you that that scene. Um, are you often surprised at how the the art comes back and what that makes your story looks like?
3: No, not really uh, because I realize the artist has to have their own vision i I've written a few comedies stories for uh, Nitietta, that military comedy comic book, and uh, it's the artist who makes the joke work in those yeah. cases and similar here mm. so as long as they don't invalidate the premise I I just have to accept it there, there's no use uh, no I wouldn't want that from a different angle who cares you, you can't uh, control the details of how the artist draws unless you're Alan Moore but uh, uh, that one really undermined my own idea, but ob- obviously that idea wasn't communicated clearly enough. And if it was my script or the translation, I don't know. But I sort of got an anxiety attack almost when I read. <laughs> People are going to say, "What is this?" Well, nobody did. No, I I read it, but it didn't really. Yeah, it
1: didn't really. Make me think that. Oh, why did you have to jump on the on the Phantom's
3: back? So, <laughs> yeah. I think it's safe. Yeah, I think you tend uh, to overestimate your own importance as a writer <laughs> and any creator because you get, oh, this is so important; it has to be exactly right. I rem- I translated uh, the the three hundred uh, Frank Miller's. Uh, Epic about the Spartans yeah. and into, And I Into had,
2: Swedish, do you mean? Yeah.
3: Yeah. And I had the devil of a time translating a certain phrase uh, because the English word "hot" can be either very hot or just warm in Swedish. Mm. And okay. I agonized over what which Swedish word will I use, and when it got into Got to print, out, damn it, that was probably the wrong one. <laughs> so I expected uh, fans uh, on message board why did
0: he wear well, this?
3: Doesn't he? Nobody, Nobody <laughs> noticed. Nobody. Which means you probably got it right. Yeah, or at least not incredibly wrong. <laughs> because you can agonize over details, but most people won't notice the small details. Yeah,
2: yeah but, but it's it's the agonizing over all the details that means that um, you get most of them right and people will not notice the one or two that you don't. So it's probably that attention to detail that lets you get away with it.
3: That's true. Thank you.
2: So um, one, one of the things that Egmont is doing at the moment is, um, uh, and, and it's through Kloss, who's pushing this idea of moving towards the 22nd Phantom. Do you have any opinions on that? What are your thoughts on on, um, ending the the line of the 21st and and moving into the 22nd Phantom?
3: I kind of like this one. So uh, I think um, this is probably more about the the Daily Strip. I've read a bit about... uh, a bit of the recent continuity in that one. And it it seems to be moving a bit into well, soap opera ish or drama territory rather than action adventure. And I read the Phantom 4 action adventure. Mm-hmm. Uh, the teens the twins bickering about who takes over that's not something I'm really interested in. I'm I'm more interested in straight adventure stories where the phantom wins over the crooks with some clever trick. Mm. And uh, those stories aren't all that easy to come up with because you have to find find that clever twist. And uh, it's not easy to find all that many clever twists. And with 22 pages to work with, you don't really have... uh, enough space to build up towards a clever twist but you have to push the action through all the time Mm. and going back to your earlier question that's reflected in towards the end when the phantom is tying uh, uh, some sort of uh, what do you call them some botanic matter uh, from plants growing in the jungle and it ties it around his uh, arm oh, for, yeah. for, for the, the dogs. dog to chew on now I originally thought of this plot for a 32 page story and there you would have had the phantom looking around I need to have something to uh, protect my arm because the dog is going to so you could spend one or two panels on that but there's yeah. not room for that in a 22 page story so I had to put all of that into the same and that doesn't necessarily make the story worse because you still get in the reason why you did it but it changes the pacing and uh, the pacing doesn't allow for a lot of uh, sidebars anymore mm. I think the um
1: I remember there was a as a younger person reading the Phantom, um, but back in back in the day, in the 70s and 80s, you probably remember this as well, a lot of the stories when you did like a, a historic story was always always involved around like a page or two of an introduction with like Rex and Tom Tom,
0: mm-hmm. where yeah.
1: now you, you, it's the same type of thing. You can't have that one or two pages of the Phantom getting into about the story, about a past fandom. It's like they almost have to go straight into it without that preamble.
2: Which is yeah. a shame, I think, because that gave context as to why the fandom was telling that story on that occasion and and often made it more meaningful.
3: Yeah, and you got a feeling for the whole family and uh, living mm. situation and the Bandar's tribe with Miss Tagama teaching uh, Rex and Tom mm Uh, And, like I said, there's not room for that anymore. You have to put in the little pieces that you can of that into the narrative.
2: Uh, So are the stories not as rich, do you think?
3: uh, It could also be that I'm reading it with a different eye, because I'm not the young kid who read those stories and was totally immersed in them when I was a kid. It can't be helped, but it's pretty hard for me now. After I have read like thousands of stories, um, you have probably too, if you're a voracious comics reader. Mm. Uh, it takes a lot more to get to draw me into a story these days than it used to. So it's hard to say. But like like you, I miss that. I for a uh, bander's pride. I actually tried to put in some uh, ethnologic stuff about the bander tribe, with uh, the ban- the young bander who wants to prove himself to the girl's father. Yeah. Because he's considered no good. So I'm going to show him. I'm going to the town and I'm going to earn lots of money and I'm going to buy him a pair of binoculars.
2: And I thought that was and- a. A, a really nice touch in terms of the there's, there's a theme or, or a secondary theme or a moral there about, um, uh, the girl loves you anyway. You don't need to prove this to, and that wouldn't have been achieved. Um, perhaps with the, with 10 pages less where you had to skip those panels where the fandom can just say, Oh, you know, you don't need to be doing that.
3: Mm. Yeah. Uh, but, But uh, Ulf Gromberg, the editor, he he nixed the father's role in the whole thing. So I I don't recall quite explicitly now, but I think it was more about buying something nice for her. So you have that moral about being good in himself. But I was into, uh, uh, well, I I was reading... uh, uh, studying psychology and stuff at the university and so- sociology. So I thought, hey, why not put in something about how the Bander Society works? And I said, no, let's not do that. <laughs> <laughs> and that's also uh, <laughs> another case of an editor shooting me down was um, for uh, Nuclear Terror, where I originally wrote the first. Three pages or so, silent, with no lines spoken, trying to tell the whole story in pictures, Mm -hmm. and uh, which isn't how it's usually done in the Phantom. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I got got an email from the editor saying, "I think I got the wrong version here because there are no." Where, where are the lines people are speaking? I was like, yeah, well, I was trying to be a bit creative, and it comes back with, don't. <laughs> <laughs> no, he didn't write that, but that, was, <laughs> that,
2: that. That was the, the summary. <laughs> uh,
3: so you you can't pull, well, maybe Klaus Rheumatic could, because he's a really established writer, and he is yeah. the... Expert on the phantom so maybe he could pull it in a different direction, but I can't I write one story Every or every other year, so I can't draw it in new directions the clear storytelling is very important and uh, I Remember Ulf Granberg stressing that as well that you have to tell the story properly and you can't just do an action story you have to have a lot of plot that was a problem with uh, American, or well, uh, I yeah, I think American uh, scriptwriters writing lots of action but not as strong plots as uh, you were used to get from uh, people like Norman Rockwell and uh, Jan Lundstrom, etc. And so Grombe would have to tell them that you need more plot here. What do you mean there's lots of plot? Or is it well, and Yes. Well, that's not quite. what...
2: yeah. Yes. Yeah, sorry. Um, <laughs> no, I must say, like I, I, I respect what you say there about uh, Matthew being going writer and has got that big body of work behind him. But uh, uh, these three stories that we're that we're talking about that you've had published um, as individual one-off stories. I... I I really love them. I think, um, as a, as a fan of all, and, and the opportunity this afternoon and tonight to read the three of those going right. I'm going to talk to the author of these. Um, I, I've just been really impressed with those three stories and how that you've worked in the the leafhock tropes which we've talked about and built on those, but respected those and turned the, turned the stories into something that is a, um, a a very true to what I would regard as the the correct phantom if you like, um, but with a with a twist on them um, that, that works really really effectively as one-off stories. So I, I look forward to any future stories that you're able to write and to get published. I think that you're a you're a wonderful phantom author, and I look forward to seeing more of them.
3: Thank you very much. That's very nice to hear. I uh, a Swedish fan who isn't. Well, he does a small strip of his own, so he's also a comics creator, but not on a huge scale. But he, he uh, wrote in a comment complimenting me, saying that you're writing the Phantom of my youth, mm. Mm. and that's true because that. I'm also, yeah, because I'm also writing the Phantom of my youth. But sure, I can't, I can't have him uh, exactly like he was then because I'm not the same person, and I haven't lived. In the same society that brought forth lee Falk and cy Barry. <laughs> and comics have evolved since so you can't do the same exactly the same thing but uh, i'm very i can't really say influenced by but i'm very impressed by people like alan moore and uh, grant morrison who write uh, american superhero stories where it's obviously Quite obvious that they love the old stuff, but they're they're modern writers, so they can't be writing the old stuff. But they're writing, retaining the soul very much of the old their old heroes. Yeah, and you also have somebody like uh, Don Rosa who renewed Donald Duck and did some wonderful stuff, building on what Carl uh, Barks had done, and. You or anybody listening, if you liked Karl Barks and haven't read Don Rosa, give him a try. He does excellent stories which are heavily weighted on characters and uh, lots of slapstick. But every action that occurs in those stories is built out on of the characters that participate in it. And that, that makes it uh, very good reading even for grown-ups. Definitely. Well,
1: um, I think we've gone through all the questions that we had. Um, one thing that I did kind of forget: um, you actually do podcast yourself.
3: Yes, in Swedish, unfortunately. Uh, so you, you, and your the major part of your old audience wouldn't understand a word, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, but uh, I and a friend who's a comics fan, uh, I used to do a, a blog, but I didn't have the time and energy to write, because if you write a blog post, you need to substantiate stuff, and you need to find the right way to formulate it and stuff like that. So it's kind of hard work, mm. and uh, when my free time dwind- dwindled, I didn't have time to do that. So. Uh, he, he and I used to have rather good conversations about comics. So I finally said, Hey, how about us doing a comics pod? And he said, Way, great. And so we do once a week and we review different comics uh, that we like, like, and also talk about what doesn't work in them. So we have the, uh, done Kurtzman. War comics, Joe Kubert, all sorts of stuff, and I doubt that we have very many viewers, really. But we have so much fun that we're going to keep doing it anyway. That's what
2: it's uh, all about. We we can certainly relate to that. You 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 <laughs> do it for yourself, and uh, you, you know, if one person out there gets something out of it, then then that's fantastic. What what's the name of your podcast, Yara? Uh,
3: Seriepodden, and. Uh, I think the easiest way for somebody who wants to find it is to go to YouTube and do a search on my name which is probably going to be mentioned in the text accompanying this podcast.
1: Yes, for sure. So, we'll put a link to your pod, to the YouTube channel as well.
3: Well, thank you. But, but my blog would probably be more accessible to uh, your listeners. Because I wrote started doing that one in English because I had American friends who were disappointed that I wrote it in Swedish. So. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: noticed with your blog, it looked like that, that you like you would write. I don't know whether it was just whether it was my browser or not, but you would write a block in Swedish and then you would write it in English or something. Is that correct? Mm, it might
3: have that, been my browser. It could have been. Uh, one or a couple of posts usually uh i used to do them all in english but if uh, there was strictly swedish politics i didn't always see the point of writing them in english <laughs> okay. so but most of the comics posts are in english
2: yeah
1: cool uh, dan you got any uh, further questions
2: no, I'd just like to, to thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us today. I've really appreciated it. it. And if nothing else, it's given me the opportunity to go back and read your three stories in particular, which I really have enjoyed. So thank you very much.
3: Thank you.
1: All right, um, Stephen, who was at the start of the podcast, had to leave uh, mm-hmm. for oh, – I can't remember exactly what why he had to leave, but he uh, sends his apologies – for leaving uh, halfway through the um, podcast, but um, yeah, Yoran, uh, thank you for uh, your time and for um, letting us talk to you tonight or today. It's today in your time uh, in your time zone. Is that correct?
3: Yes, it's, it's early afternoon.
1: Yeah, it's uh, almost half past ten my time, so it'll be just past midnight for you. Is that right, Dan?
2: Correct, and I think that might be why Stephen has left us, because it's well after one o'clock in the morning his time. <laughs> yeah.
1: It's um, always fun doing podcasts with three different time zones. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. yeah, thank you for your time again. Um, uh, so everyone who was listening who maybe did not get those numbers that uh, your own stories have been um Uh, published by Fru. They are 1149, 1724, and 1763, which was the 80th anniversary special. So, um, yeah, it's definitely worth a read. Um, As always, we just want to say thank you to our listeners. Uh, Thank you to the people who have donated on the um,
2: uh, Patreon.
1: Patreon site. Thank you for that prompt. Um, for listening to us, uh, you can always leave feedback on the social media, Facebook, uh, leave your comments on the YouTube um, podcast as well. And we just... Uh, no, that's iTunes podcast. <laughs> All over the place. <laughs> it's getting late. Um, but So thank you, everyone, for uh, listening to this one. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Um, yes. It's great getting a bit of an insight on how our comics are created. Um, we will have a couple more interviews coming up, so please uh, look out for them. And thank you again, guys. Thank,
3: thank you, you very, you much, very much. much. Thank you.
1: No worries. Thanks a lot for that. Um, really
3: enjoyed that. It was very interesting and insightful. Thank you. Uh, again, uh, thank you for inviting me. Uh, Makes a feel, makes a person feel appreciated. <laughs> well,
1: very appreciated. Um, I remember reading Banders Pride, and I, yeah, I really enjoyed it as a kid. And then when I um read the Medicine Man's Daughter, I, I thought that name sounds familiar. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I looked you up on uh the Phantom Wiki. Mhm. And um, there, on there I had what your first story was, and it was like, ah, oh, yeah. And so I remember <laughs> um, when we were talking about it on the podcast, just remember like you know raving about it and stuff like that. I really would have butchered your name probably twenty times during the previous podcasts. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, very impressed with the stories, and look forward to uh, the next thank one. Thank you
3: very much. Uh, actually what you really should have uh, thought was that uh, unfamiliar name sounds familiar. (laughs)
2: Yes,
3: (laughs) Yes. that is true. um,
2: You've actually, you've had your name spelt, I think, three different ways in three different Fru comics, so...
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I noticed when I Googled myself. (laughs) (laughs) But it's it's the way it is. Uh, I'll mangle... I won't maggle most English names, but if somebody's an immigrant to America from, say, the Middle East, I'm out of it. So it, it's just the way it is. You can't yeah. expect people to know all languages on the planet. Yeah. No,
1: you're right. I'm looking at the... Um, in the 8th anniversary, it's, it's G-O-R-A-N, but it doesn't have the... What do you call it above the O?
3: Uh, I think it's called umlaut in uh, German when they do it over the U to make it a Y. But uh, in Sweden, we just call it dots.
2: Dots. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the contents page does have the dots over the O uh, in 1763. But um, 1724, which is the medicine man's daughter, your name is spelled G-O-R-R-A-N.
3: Yeah, I noticed that. Well, that was funny. As long as they, as long as I don't spell it, groan.
2: <laughs> now, this is going to be a, a little bit of a juvenile question, but I have to ask because it's not often I speak to a Swedish person. Um, mm? In the Muppets, is yeah. it is it the Swedish chef? Uh, what's the character there that is the chef who speaks just
3: Swedish? is. He is Svenske Kokken, the Swedish chef.
2: So and in Sweden they call him the Swedish chef.
3: Yeah. and uh, It would be problematic to call him something else in the translation because we subtitle all our English and French and all, all, all imported television and movies. Mm. And everybody knows English. So yes. you, you would have him called the Swedish chef spoken and then translated to the danish chef or something people were what
2: i i have heard that he's the norwegian chef in sweden but that's that's not
3: true no no never (laughs) never heard that no so
1: is it the the norwegians that call him the norwegian chef
3: I doubt it. I think the Norwegians would take any chance to make Swedes, Swedes look ridiculous. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. All right, guys. Thanks Thanks thank you very much for inviting me to this. I enjoyed it very much, and uh, thank you for your kind words, kind words about my stories, and hopefully you'll get at least one more of them in 2018.
2: I hope so, and- mate. I, I very much look forward to that.
3: I'll give you a sir since uh, it's not on the program anymore.
0: 500 years ago, he washed ashore the sole survivor of a shipwreck. And upon the skull of the man who killed his dad, he said, I'm mad I must eradicate piracy, injustice and cruelty. And all my sons will follow me so evildoers will believe that this man not die. The phantom. The ghost who walks. The phantom. Enemies beware. The phantom's always there. But you won't find the phantom. He finds you.